0: Alright, um, I'm Wendy Goldman and I'm an occupational therapist and so um, in my career I've worked in geriatrics for now about 23 years and so for many, many years I've definitely worked with patients who had different types of dementia and um, then I worked for a few years for a company called Senior Helpers and Senior Helpers contracted with an a occupational therapist who was my professor in OT school named TiPA Snow and she is amazing and she has done um, a training for them because obviously for a non-medical company to go into a home a lot of the people they're taking care of are seniors with dementia and so um, it's really incredibly valuable because it can be a really challenging thing to be a good caregiver and to feel effective with someone who has dementia um, to help yourself and your, keep your sanity and help them have a better quality of life. Um, so anyway, um, I would suggest and I will tell you the 10 absolutes I will cover at the end are not Teepa Snow. That was done by someone else but everything else I cover is, I want to give credit to Teepa. She has developed a lot of training and I would suggest if you li- like to learn more about dementia go on YouTube and watch um, Teepa, anything, T-E-E-P-A, Snow, S-N-O-W, watch anything she does. Not one second of what she does, is in, it's, it's unbelievable how um, good she is as a trainer for dementia, and it is practical and very great information. Um, anyway, so what do you guys think about when I say talk about dementia? What are something you think of when you hear the word dementia? Any words come to mind or confusion Confusion. confusion. yeah, yeah. Memory, loss. memory loss that's a big one because you know that's one of the significant factors that the symptoms that happens and i do know that like with certain ty- types of dementia that is more of an issue uh, if you have uh, frontotemporal dementia you don't really often have short-term memory deficits, but it is significant in most of the dementias. Um, Any other words that come to mind? Dementia. Some people think uh, Alzheimer's is a big word. Um, So about um, 50% of the people that have dementia have Alzheimer's dementia. and Obviously that statistic can vary greatly depending on the study. Um, There's other types of dementia, though. So dementia is like the umbrella, And then there's lots of different kinds of dementia. So there's also another popular um, one that people have is vascular dementia. So there's a lot of um, disease processes that will um, stop oxygen from getting to the brain, and that creates a completely different kind of dementia, vascular dementia, and it is definitely signified by short-term memory loss. So one of the main issues for that. Um, Lewy body dementia, have you all heard of that? That? Okay, okay. About fifteen percent of people with dementia have that. Um, it, it Louis L E W Y body B O D Y, and it was misdiagnosed as Parkinson's I think for years, because one of the symptoms of Louie body is rigidity and stiffness, and they would trip a lot, right? And also though, and they also have very confusion maybe and. Um, Maybe not as much short-term memory issues, but uh, one of the scary things about Lewy Body is the hallucinations that seem very realistic. Um, They will often see uh, animals or people, children, that are not there. Um, Just want to give you an example, though. Um, I've worked in skilled nursing. They call 911 a lot. I will tell you people with Lewy Body Dementia because a caregiver, I can't count the times, has gone out into the room, done, ha- assisted with bathing dressing tasks, taken the dirty linens to the dirty laundry, and the person uh, called 911 and said, someone just came in, assaulted me, and took my stuff. They really believe that, and they're terrified. And so it's um, definitely a scary, um, dementia can be... Um, Robin Williams had Lewy body dementia, and so he was probably having horrible hallucinations. Um, that's really sad to me. Um, another one is frontotemporal um, dementia, and often you'll see behavioral changes. Um, one one that happens is they have an inability to control themselves in different ways. They'll eat a lot. They can't stop eating and become obese. That, that, that control of not stopping, you know, you eat and you're full, they don't have that anymore. Um, and also with language, you'll see a lot of that in frontotemporal dementia, but they also uh, will become mute, whereas some, maybe Alzheimer's, they'll continue to speak, but it won't make much sense. So there's, there's not like 80, 90 dement- different types of dementia out there. And so you have to be careful that everybody wants to, and doctors sometimes want to put everybody into Alzheimer's category. But I think if you're really in the real world with someone with a different type of dementia, it's really important to know that it's that different type of dementia because there are differences in how you take care of them and how you can best interact with them. And um, it's such a challenge. Um, Tipa calls them care partners. She not even call them caregivers. Because you don't want to make that person you're you know living with or caring for feel like they're a burden. So I think that's why she tries to think of the word care partner as, as a, something to say instead of caregiver. Um, Alright, so it, I think maybe this statistic you might have heard of, um, by the age of 65, 1 out of 10 people have dementia. And I think that's a lot of people. Um, But then, and this is the concern when we have the baby boomers, there's so many people that are getting ready, they're living longer, and at the age of 85, 50 to maybe 55 percent, they think of the people that are baby boomers are going to have dementia at 85 years old. So think about what kind of challenges that is going to give us for caregiving and um, we're already strained. Our resources are incredibly strained um, as far as people to take care and provide medical care and therapies and things like that. So um, it's a big challenge that the world is getting ready to face. We're already struggling and it's going to get even more challenging, I think. Um, All right. so I would like to talk a little bit about what happens in the brain. So I would like to try to show this video real quick. And sorry it's a bit of a bummer see if i turn the volume up first Alzheimer's disease alzheimer's
1: <laughs> alzheimer's is a slow fatal disease of the brain affecting one in ten people over the age of 65. no one is immune the disease comes on gradually as two abnormal protein fragments, called plaques and tangles, accumulate in the brain and kill brain cells. They start here, in the hippocampus, the part of the brain where memories are first formed. Over many years' time, the plaques and tangles slowly destroy the hippocampus, and it becomes harder and harder to form new memories. Simple recollections from a few hours or days ago that the rest of us might take for granted are just not there. After that, more plaques and tangles spread into different regions of the brain, killing cells and compromising function wherever they go. This spreading around is what causes the different stages of Alzheimer's. From the hippocampus, the disease spreads here to the region of the brain where language is processed. When that happens, gets tougher and tougher to find the right word. Next, the disease creeps toward the front of the brain where logical thought takes place. Very gradually, a person begins to lose the ability to solve problems, grasp concepts, and make plans. Next, the plaques and tangles invade the part of the brain where emotions are regulated. When this happens, the patient gradually loses control over moods and feelings, After that, the disease moves where the brain makes sense of things it sees, hears, and smells. In this stage, Alzheimer's wreaks havoc on a person's senses and can spark hallucinations. Eventually, the plaques and tangles erase a person's oldest and most precious memories, which are stored here in the back of the brain. Near the end, the disease compromises a person's balance and coordination and in the very last stage it destroys the part of the brain that regulates breathing and the heart the progression from mild forgetting to death is slow and steady and takes place over an average of eight to ten years it is relentless and for now <coughs> helping your family friends and neighbors to better understand Alzheimer's Reduce stigma, improve care, and even help the fight for a cure. Thanks for helping to you be your best. oops. Learn more at www.alaiz.org.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess bend over still. Maybe not soon. I'm going to give this to her. She didn't have one. All right, so um, I wanted to show you that, first of all, it is kind of, it's, it's a bummer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, because it is brain death. Um, things. This is not something you recover from. And um, I do believe that I have seen in practical situations, people do have some ability some days and the next days not and the next days they do. But I think as part of the cell death, you your connections don't, Um, just one day work and not. Some days they, oh they work little and then they don't work and the the cells start to fail. So you do see some variants, but it it does not, it does not, you do not recover from genuine dementia. There are some pseudo-dementias that um, that happen maybe, you ever see someone who has a UTI when they're older and their behaviors change, but once you cure the UTI then they they come back to a little bit more normal, the way they were before, and so basically that is not a genuine dementia. It would be maybe a pseudo-dementia. Um, so uh, if you have genuine dementia, it is not reversible, and at this time, there really are not meds that, that I have ever had experience that work very well. So, and I had been to uh, trainings where uh, neurologists who are very um, advanced in the studies of dementia have said they don't think that there's going to be something for at least 30, 40 years. So that's unfortunate. So what we have are left with is let's do the best we can with what we have. And so to understand this video and talking about it traveling around um, parts of the brain, I did want to give this to you. I'm not going to go into detail with it right now, but it gives you permanent information about that you can keep about what parts of the brain and how dementia affects those parts of the brain. And like I said before, with vascular dementia, maybe you don't have the plaques and tangles but you have a lack of oxygen that causes brain death. It's irreversible brain death as well but it's for a different reason. But these parts of the brain still experience brain death and this is the effect that they there will be when you see um, Neurons killed in these areas of the brain. And so I, I really wanted you to have that to look at. I, will sp- I want to talk about some specifics because they are um, very, uh, they really affect someone you may not realize in some drastic ways with dementia and may have never thought about them before. Um, the first one I want to talk about is vision. Okay, because it does, dementia does hit, hit the oc- occipital lobe of the brain. And you actually have vision loss with dementia which you're, you know, I didn't know that I realized how much vision loss that people do have. But what happens is your world comes in, in every direction, and you get what's called binocular vision. Have you ever heard of this before, any of y'all? All right, so I want you to look around the room, and I want you to see, like, if you're just looking straight forward, how far to the left and right you can see, and how far down to the ground and to the ceiling that you can see. I mean this is something we take for granted right but I want you if you can I want you to put your hands over your eyes and I want you to see now how far to the left and right can you see how far above you can you see and how far below you to the ground can you see all right so if you're a caregiver and you're taking care of someone and you don't you're not aware of this vision loss and you come into their room and say they're watching television, or they're sitting in the room, you know, doing something. And you come into the room from the side of them. Um, Go ahead and put your binoculars on for me. And um, I often see people touch people before they even say a word to them, right? Because they don't see, you know, they don't act literally have hands up, but they're sitting there and they say, "Hey, how are you doing today?" And it can startle That person, all right. Um, Even if you're coming in, right, and to to do caregiving, and you're familiar with them, you've been in out all day. They don't remember that, but you've been in out with them all day long. Go ahead and put your binoculars again, and you come in, and how are you doing? And you start working and touching them, Mm -hmm. and it is off, a little off putting, isn't it? You feel like somebody's coming at you really fast, right? Because you didn't see them. Maybe come in, or they and they start touching you where you can't see them touching you, and we don't realize because that vision loss occurs, it can really affect the way it makes them feel. Okay, and as the disease process progresses, it becomes monocular vision, and what that does is it removes depth perception. So what you see with people with a binocular vision, so if I am sitting like this and I don't see my table where somebody puts a plate in front of me, do I see my food? No, but whose food might I see? Mm -hmm. Across the way. Across the way. I have seen people get in a little bit of fights because someone's eating their food and, you, you know, they don't realize that that person can't see their own plate but they can see their plate. Right? All right. And with, you know, they, they fall, they can trip more easily because they can't see the ground, anything on the ground. So when you set up someone's environment, it's very important to remove all things around the ground they could easily trip on. Um, throw rugs, right? They're a problem. But also, pets can be really dangerous for someone with dementia that has vision loss. Um, with monocular vision, since they lose that perception. I've seen people see something and they try to think it's right, you know, near their hand but it's far away. Or they go to sit in a chair and they sit short of the chair because they've lost their depth perception. And there's so many things about practical real life that we may not realize, that we didn't even realize there was a vision loss. And it's really important to think about that when you're providing care for those with dementia. Um, All right, so, I want to talk about the positive physical approach, and I have a sheet for you on that. And I think that's really important. Does everybody have one? You don't have one. I want to get one for you. Here, oh, two sets, okay. There yeah. you go. All right, so the positive physical approach sheet, you can see, I hope it's right here, it looks like this. Um, it talks about how to approach someone with, with dementia. And so because of this vision loss, I think it's important to um, recognize that you pause in the space that may be in their vision plane, right? Um, you. That's about 10 feet out. And so, um, what you want to do is you want to stop right there. It's because you're in their vi- their sight of vision, and you want to say hi, right? So it talks. You gesture, and we're going to talk even more about visual cues and how important they are through this um, training. But you want to greet them by their name. You don't want to say what's your name because <laughs> they literally may have forgotten. Um, you may say. Um, you want to make sure you're using names that they know is their name. Sometimes because they travel back in time, if you call them by their married surname, they will absolutely not think you're talking to them because they aren't married. They are living with their mom and dad and they don't know who you know Mrs. Smith is anymore. Okay, So, just make sure you understand the name that they recognize as themselves. All right. So, um, you want to offer your hands to and make eye contact. Make sure they see you. Um, if you're doing all this and they never make eye contact with you, you're, you might still get up close to them and they still haven't seen you yet. All right. But uh, you want to do an auditory hello, you know, Ms. Smith, how are you? A visual cue, the universal thing, right? A wave. And you don't want to smile. You know, you want to make sure your your wave is in their line of sight, and you know you want to make sure that you when you offer your hand, you're offering it out here, not when you get up to them. That's a little too late. You want to start offering the handshake when you're out here about ten feet out, and that makes you know what that does is gives them per- you permission to touch them. There, you're asking, when you ask to shake someone's hand, you're asking permission to touch them instead of just automatically touching them, okay? And then um, you want to approach slowly. Definitely don't walk up really fast to somebody, right? And you don't want to, um, you want to make sure that they see you, okay, as you're coming up to them. And then you want to shake their hand and it says right here, maintain hand under hand contact and I'll show you that and you'll see it move to the side and get to eye level and wait for acknowledgement, okay? So, you're going to sometimes receive acknowledgement, first of all, out here. But sometimes it's through the process, okay? But you want to say, hey, Mrs. It's Wendy, how are you? It's good to see you today. Then you move the hand under hand, and you move over to the side, and you get down, and then you start your interaction, okay? And this hand under hand is very important. Because this allows for you, first of all it's a touch, we already discussed, but the hand under hand hand handhold allows you to do a lot of things in caregiving and moving them around um, when you already have established that they give you permission to touch them. And it ha- allows you to have a lot of control. Um, I don't know if any of you have been around someone with dementia that gets a- aggressive, and sometimes we're the reason they get aggressive because we've made them feel threatened. Okay? They don't know who we are. They we just stormed in on them and touched them without permission, and we started touching them in personal places without permission. And it wouldn't take an unusual person to get aggressive. A lot of people would get aggressive anyway, right? Stop touching me. But when you move over to the side and you're holding their hand with the hand under hand, handhold, you're away from that other hand too. And sometimes it's a little unpredictable when someone's going to hit you that has dementia or try to at least push you away. So it is advantageous to be on the opposite side of a hand that you're not holding. Alright? And, um, what happens too is when you want to, say, provide care, um, if you can, um, if you're doing feeding, you can have them assist. You're not just trying to feed them. You have hand-under-hand assist and you came up to them and you got on their plane and you started talking to them and you want them to eat. And you can have them assist feeding themselves. You can see how that handhold really helps with caregiving. To bathe, if you want them to wash, you can have the washcloth. You say you want to wash your face? And you're not washing mm-hmm. their face, mm-hmm. right? You're having them assist wash their face. And it can make a big difference about their reaction and how they feel about your, you know, your caregiving. Um, if you want them to go somewhere. Um, this handhold is great because you can. You're already ready. Let's go, and you can say, and the, you have them, and you can guide them around because of the handhold. And um, <laughs> it's a really great hand under hand is a really great strategy for any kind of caregiving, but it all starts with that positive approach, that you, physical approach that you come up to someone with. Um, I'd really like to see and we're not sitting in a great way to do this but if you could pair up is there any way um, that you could pair up and well, I want one of you to kind of stand in front of the other person and the person who's sitting I want you to use your binocular vision and the other person I want you to do what I do so can you is it alright if y'all pair up <laughs> <laughs> you are ready. You are ready. <laughs> Guys, go ahead and pair up. Yeah, you got it. I see your belt. I don't see your belt. I want you to come up here with me. <laughs> <I> okay. <know>, right? Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Have a seat right there. Oh, okay. So
0: one of you sit and one of you and do your binocular vision. Do your binocular vision and he'll Hi Fred, how are you? I'm Wendy. I'm
2: all right. Nice
0: to see you today.
2: Hey Betty, how are you?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did you all feel could you see him coming towards you? All right. Yeah, and you know, that is part of this situation we're in this classroom, it's hard to get in front of someone. And a lot of rooms that people are in are set up to the door is on the side. So you really need to keep that in mind when s- get getting in front of them. You want to make sure the room is set up to where you can get in front of them and you're not forced to come to the side. Or say, the room is set up, you want to turn off the television. <laughs> Honestly.
2: For, for guys who are and tall, I've learned you've got to Get down at their level.
0: That's right. Getting down their level is so important.
2: I learned that.
0: And you want, you know, if you have their attention, they're going to turn their head to you. But until you get that, They aren't. They're looking forward and you're going to jab things in their faces without them looking at you. You've got to make sure you have eye contact so you at least got a little feeling of, (laughs) of what it feels like if you're sitting and also you got a little practice if you're standing about making sure you stop about 10 feet out. You want to wave and make sure you get eye contact. You want to come in slowly and get permission to touch them, okay? And then you want to move to the hand under hand and move to the side, keeping eye contact, and then you can make your requests. um, You know, what you kind of want to do when you're interacting with them. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think the positive physical approach is an incredibly important skill to learn. Um, You have, a lot of people will tell me who have Early Alzheimer's, they, they'll talk to me about vision, their vision loss. Um, the, I've heard it described as they feel like a blind's over their eyes, like it's not even letting as much light in. Because So you can imagine sundowners, if you feel that way and the light is in the room, how are you going to feel in the evening when ha- everyone has all the lights out? All right, so vision, even that's why it's really important in the evening to be very aware of the light in your room because there's genuine vision vision loss. Um, All right, so I want to talk a little bit about language. So, in the temporal lobe of your brain, there is um, different parts of the the brain developed and they have language. So, receptive language, what you understand when someone's talking to you, and what you um, can express, the language to express to someone, what your needs are and what you want to say to them. That's two completely different parts of the brain, okay? There is a path between them, but there are definitely differences in those different kinds of language, receiving and expression of language. Um, two, um, in the brain, you have your left brain of temporal brain being holding your language, your complicated, complex speech. Um, and you, ret- you lose that. Left lose with dementia, right retain. So your left temporal lobe you lose, and that's complex speech, and your right temporal lobe you retain much longer. And in the right brain, temporal brain, you ha- re- reserve rhythm, so you'll see people with dementia who don't make any more speech uh, sense anymore when they're speaking. And then we do it, and we but you hear the rhythm of my speech, it still maintains the rhythm of speech. And that's amazing to me. And, and that's one of the reasons that if you can use, um, they hear your tone and your rhythm of speech, so they know you're interacting with them, right? But they may not understand everything that you're saying and be able to express themselves. But also they like music often. Not everyone li- music works with everyone, but because people like rhythm, music can be very effective in helping calm an anxious person. So um, because we don't know what kind of music that is, it's important to understand what kind of music they've liked through their whole life. So maybe right now they like a certain kind of music, but when they were 18 they liked a different kind of music. I think it's important to know their lifespan of music because often the music they liked when they're younger is more effective in helping them. And You can play music when they're anxious or right before they're getting ready to do something you know is going to be stressful, like a shower. Okay? So, um, the rhythm in that right temporal lobe is still present. But another thing that's still present in the right temporal lobe that's kind of upsetting is the no-no words. Okay? The uh, socially unacceptable things that we say when we're kids and our moms go, don't you ever say that again! And we go, oh, okay, I'll stick it over in my, a different part of my brain because I can't use that all the time. Racial slurs, cuss words, calling people names, calling people fat, things like that are going to be in the right temporal lobe. And so we, uh, you know, have different parts of the brain that are being affected by dementia and when your frontal lobe, which is your filter, your frontal lobe's your filter and it stops you, we think things all the time we don't say. That we know we can't say. But when you lose that filter and you lost your normal ability to express your frustration in complicated speech, but you've retained the no-no words, what comes out? Yeah. All right, and these are people who would never say these things their whole lives. You know, it's just shocking. Okay, but that's why it's it's so important to understand this because we shame people, um, at churches shame people, mm-hmm. and uh, people can't bring their loved ones to church anymore. They got their caregivers and their caregivers 24-7, and they can't come to church anymore because they can't bring their loved one because they're going to say something and the, ch- the people at church are going to take it wrong and call them a pervert or something, right? So I think educating people in church about dementia is really important because this is a physiological disease. It is not a person becoming going from being a good person to a bad person. It is a disease process, and unfortunately, in the history of our churches, we have shamed people instead of understanding that this is a d- disease process and being some- someone who helps them not be ashamed. Okay, um, So that's one of the reasons i de- definitely like to talk a little bit about language um, because I think it's really important for us to understand that. Um, I want to talk a little bit because... Uh, Of short-term memory. Let's do a language exercise first before we move on. When you have an early, don't look at the back side of this. (laughs) Look at the front side. I'm going to pair you up again. Just look at this side. Don't look. Look at the ones with the blanks. Not the other side because that's cheating for our (laughs) exercise. And only one of you really needs to to look at it. The other person is the guinea pig that gets to try to figure this out. There you go. All right. So um, the, a person in early dementia, right, at diagnosis, loses how many words? In one in four words. Early dementia. And this exercise is one in four words. As dementia progresses, you lose a lot more language, ultimately losing most of your language, your receptive language, the ability to understand the words that people are saying. So um, I want you to read this to the other person and see if they can guess some of the blanks. Pause only when you come to the b- blanks, okay? Go ahead and say this to each other.
2: <laughs> well, ready? Mm-hmm. I think it's blank to blank.
0: To go to? We're having?
2: I think it's time do you, to go to church.
0: Okay, do you like? Go ahead and order.
1: I think it's
0: Don't look in the back. An
2: no, I <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think it's.
0: <laughs> yeah, he mentioned he
2: used that word
0: yes it's outrageous it can be anything our, our expression our tone can help a little but um, just talking to someone is, is a problem <laughs> all right you guys got the idea I think if you lose one in four words even even less than that I think it can be a, a, a tragedy so I want you to this time you showed them stinkers. What I want you to do with the underlined words this time for the other person is I want you to do a visual cue. Do not say the word, do a visual cue when you get to the blank. So you're going to say, I think it's, and then do a visual cue, don't say the word, time to go, then do a visual cue and do the whole exercise and see if they can guess it now. You, whoever's doing it to the other person can look at the other side. Yeah,
1: <laughs> whatever. <laughs>
0: Hey, yeah. yeah Did nice it work? Ice. Did it work? Yes. Go yes. it, yep. it helps. And, it, and let me tell you, say I come up to the positive physical approach and I say, it's time to go eat. We go. You don't, I mean, and I think that you want to ask people what they're, if they have, you know, can have choices. But a lot of the times you don't ask a lot. Let's do this. Do it together, okay? And you don't want to say, do you want to go eat? Well, no. Well then, what do you do? You're stuck. Yeah. So I do want to say that too, is I do like to use this exercise to say, let's go eat. Come on, something time to eat. Let's go. You and I are going to eat together. And then, but you visual cues, charades or visual cues are essential when doing caregiving with someone who has dementia of some kind.
1: You know, one, one
2: thing that, that we both loved one, we struggle with this is we, in our society, we, we kind of greatly value choice. Yes. I mean, it's, it's choices like, are great. I agree. Marketing brands, it's in, it's, it's uh, more choice. Choices, so someone worshipped, not in a bad way, but in a good way. That is a hard. <laughs> that's a hard shift. Yeah. Uh, with the best intentions, and I include myself in this, you want to offer choices mm-hmm. that just really frustrates the Dickens <laughs> out of someone with this with this
0: malady. Really they can forget the first choice by the time you give the second choice. Right. So it, it's it's not that we're trying to be not trying to be kind anymore. Right. I just think. I, and maybe this is the why why women end up being caregivers <laughs> so much more
2: because I see it's mothering a two-year-old. It's like yeah. a, a total. Yeah. Mm. You know, when you say it's like we're going to clean up your room now. Yes, we are. You
1: take their hand and you, it, you know, you don't say clean up your room to a two-year-old. You help yeah, them. Not you not want to really you do them. And there's and not a lack
2: of dignity in doing. That.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think that's one of the important things for us to preserve but is our dignity
2: too. It's like, I mean, do you want A or B? I mean, you don't give them. 50 choice. And you can
0: give the choice visually. Sometimes that helps if it is food, for instance, instead of just using the words. Because again, they have massive amounts of word loss because it's affecting the left temporal lobe and that they're losing the words. Um, but I agree. I think one of the more important things to say to people with dementia is, I'm sorry. That you're not necessarily going to say to a two-year-old, I'm sorry this is happening to you. I'm sorry I made you feel that you were a burden because you're not. It's my fault for making you feel that way. I didn't, I didn't say it right. I said it wrong. I'm sorry. I think that is definitely one of the differences between two-year-olds and adults. You, you have to apologize. I think you really need to learn that. And not ta- you know, you're not taking it personally, but you've got to put yourself in their brain. And they often are feeling like they're being belittled if you're not careful. Because it, things just come out of our mouths in frustration. We just aren't used to someone else who has this person who used to remember and now they can't. They're not themselves anymore, and it's incredibly frustrating. So, I want you to, we're gonna do a little memory exercise right here. And, um, all right, anybody wanna do this with me? It doesn't matter to me. Anybody wanna do an exercise? Come on over. All right, you're gonna ask me. um, I, I'm, you're going to tell me what time we're going to go to the doctor today. If I have a doctor's appointment. I'm telling you. I have dementia, and mm-hmm. you're going to tell me that um, what time we're going to... When I ask you, you're going to tell me what time we go to the doctor, sure. okay? And each time you tell me, I want you to put a beanbag in the basket, yeah. okay?
2: Yeah,
0: sure. All right. Um, I'm going to the doctor. What time am I going to the doctor?
2: We're going at 2 o'clock today. Okay. Oh.
0: <laughs> oh. 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 And as I ask you, I want you to get a little more agitated. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I know. Uh, um, what time you said we're going to the uh, doctor? I,
2: yes, I told you before. We're going at two o'clock.
0: Oh, oh. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Um. Okay. Okay. Oh. What time you were? I'm going to the doctor today. What time? I told you
2: twice before. Don't you remember? I'm we're sorry. going at two o'clock. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay.
0: Did you see that? Okay. So I wanted to show a couple things. We're going to do this again. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to show you. We're not going to do it with a net, but okay. we are going to do it. Okay. Um, I wanted to show you because there's a couple things here to see. Obviously, that's a really good visual, I think, to show you they just can't remember it. Okay. But we as caregivers, uh, I'm sorry, it is human. It's not. Uh, you're not a bad person because you get frustrated. But, oh, I don't know if you've ever been in through this again Where the, before where they ask over and over again the same exact question. Yeah. It would drive anyone mad. And you can see how not intending to shame me, shamed me, right? They were, he wasn't, he was just trying to say to inform me, I've told you this before, right? So it is a a scary thing to go through that as a person with dementia and a frustrating thing to go through that as a caregiver. Mm. All right, so it's multiple problems. So, one of the things that I we already talked about visual cues and you can try this. There is not necessarily the way it's going to happen, but there's other strategies. So you can say, um, so um, I'm a hand under hand with him, oh, yeah. and he comes up and says, um, you asked me what time we're going to the doctor. What time are we going to the doctor today? We're going to doctor at 3 o'clock today, and we're going to go in just a little bit, 3 o'clock. So, but until then, um, I was wondering if you could help me. I need a little bit of help. So I need a little help folding these towels. Do you mind? Helping me. I'm so behind, but thank you so much for helping me fold these towels. All right, now I did that because that's another strategy. You want to change your language, you want to talk about something else, period. You want to change. I intentionally kind of went from one space to another because you want to take them to a different area because visual cues even in a room can change that person's mind to stop obsessing about that doctor's appointment and you can give them and you didn't say "Um, I want you to do this asking them to help you I think is a really important language because it helps them feel valuable and that gives them something to do that's a physical activity that stops them from perseverating and being stuck on that doctor's appointment or that question they're asking you and that's a strategy um thank you so much (laughs) i wanted to go through that exercise because i think um so first of all we saw the short-term memory loss and the interaction issues and using visual cues they can also have a board i had a a friend goes to fourth who had an uncle that I would treated in therapy before and he said he is calling me eight times a day, asking me questions. I said, Well what are the main what are the questions? And it ends up being three questions. It was about laundry, it was about medicine and I think it was about some other like gardening or something. And, he, and this is a man who is very rigid. I got to know him during therapy and so that helps. But I said put a board up because he's still reading. Every morning I read his paper. And I said put the times that he needs to do these things at. And when he calls you, and hopefully it will not call you as often, you can cue him to the board. And if he's wondering, say if, if it's that time, you already, you, you already did it because this man if it said to do laundry at ten o'clock, he did the laundry at ten o'clock. But you know, you have different visual cues that you can provide for someone who can still read. That can be really helpful as well. He's reading something. They lose like their vision, the ability to comprehend reading. Yes. How soon does that come? Well, that's definitely um, you're losing some of the words in reading, and you'll find someone who is a prolific reader has to read the same thing over and over and over again to get it. But they will definitely lose it. But this man was reading the paper every morning. And it was probably, he wasn't getting everything. But if you keep the word simple and um, don't say a lot of jibber-jabber in the, the cue, the visual cue, just keep it simple. They can comprehend it if they stare at it for a minute or two. But progressively, they're not going to be able to live it alone by themselves. Like, this man was still living alone by himself for a little while. But it was a, a situation where I know there's a lot of friends that I have. Their loved one calls them constantly on the telephone. So that person, you can think of ways to compensate and allow them to continue to live by themselves and maybe not call you every second. But there are ways to provide visual cues that, um, and there's some strategies to help calm people down. That we can, if you ever have that happen, um, someone who's a therapist or dementia specialists can definitely help you think through that. It's important to say, to not live in a situation, say I'm stuck. I can't fix this. You know, there are ways and strategies that people have figured out over time that they can really help you. Um, I didn't go over the 10 absolutes. What time is it?
2: 10:47. What time is class
0: over now? 10:47. Um, I didn't get to go over those so we could do a whole class on absolutes
2: <laughs>
0: and um, good good um, yeah I knew I was like there's I have so much education so stuff but yeah. I really want to, you to guys to be able to ask me questions too so can we have you come back forever? yeah Yes.
2: Okay. Good question about hearing yes I know separate apart from dementia seniors and have other physiological things mm-hmm. in this hearing. Absolutely. But does dementia or Alzheimer's in and of itself do anything mm-hmm. to
0: hearing? Um, I don't think that that is as common. Um, That's I but that is, yeah. I mean, when, when you have brain, it's more the processing. But, you know, as it said in the video, progressively you have basic functions that it, when it hits certain parts of your brain the, the ability to breathe I mean so in terms
2: of tone of voice mm-hmm. oh
0: it's so important
2: we, we, there's this natural side <laughs> someone's you know up in years, 80 90 we want to get in their face and, and speak up that may not necessarily be the.
0: That's correct. Why are you yelling at me? (laughs) I've had patients tell me that before. So I'm so sorry. I was just in a room with someone who's hard of hearing. You are not hard of hearing. I'm sorry. I apologize. So. Don't have, so, so if they yell do yell not, ha- they are not hard of hearing. Please try not to yell. I mean, definitely, <laughs> tone of voice is so important. Your facial you. expression is so important. Your tone of voice is so important. Mm-hmm. And because if they can't understand every word, you have the other cues that you're giving them are so much more important. There's so much more um, the fact, the way they react to you and you react to them. It's like you try to speak to someone in another language and you just say it louder like they're going to understand English. I'm up. sorry. I, I'm, I definitely have so much more to go over, oh, but I'd be happy so to